Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this past week, I had an amazing opportunity. I found myself uh, in a situation that I loved and uh, in something that was so rewarding. And I'm not talking about Black Friday shopping. I'm talking about Christmas decorating. Now, I'm a person who loves to decorate for Christmas. And so last Thanksgiving, 
when my wife was uh, talking to her grandmother and said, hey, how about next Thanksgiving we come down and help you decorate for Christmas? I found myself looking at the perfect deal. The deal was, was this, if we came down and decorated, then we would be fed. <laughs> now, the best part about this is I love decorating and I love eating, so this was a double win for me. And so we went down there, and one of the amazing things about uh, this, this street uh, where Kelsey's grandma lives down in Florida is that they go all out for Christmas. I'm talking every house on the street is uh, decorated Griswold style, arches over the streets. There was a Wizard of Oz scene next door, a few houses down, a model train running through a yard. People were camped outside, um, just enjoying each other's company as the cars on Thanksgiving started to come through to see the lights that were set up for Christmas. And I loved having the opportunity to do that. See, we had promised that we would get all of these lights set up so that they could be controlled with Alexa. And we succeeded. We got that house. Uh, it's a smart Christmas uh, on Amelia Island. But the best part about this is that I just, I love decorating for Christmas. Not just because we went down to Florida to do it, although that was a wonderful thing. But I've always loved decorating for Christmas. Some of my favorite memories from college were with our college ministry. Uh, right after Thanksgiving, we'd begin our uh, shortened Advent because everybody went home before actual Christmas happened. We'd begin it by decorating the building inside and out with a huge tree and lights and all kinds of things. And we'd have a time of fellowship and, and celebration and music and it was just wonderful. But even further back, when I was a little kid, probably far too young to be doing some of the things that I was doing in preparation for Christmas, I would help my dad to uh, get up on the roof and staple Christmas lights all around and uh, try year after year to win that coveted best yard sign. And I'll tell you what, one year, we finally got that sign uh, instead of our neighbors, and that was one of the best moments of my life. I've always loved to decorate for Christmas. And I think that a big part of that love comes from the fact that as you're putting up lights, and as you see the lights that everybody else has, as these decorations begin to pop up, you realize that you're in a season of preparation. You know that Christmas is coming. You know that it's not just coming eventually, but that it's almost here. And there's some real excitement that comes from a season of preparation like that. It's not just something that happens with Christmas. It's something that happens all throughout our lives. When you're young and summer is coming to an end and you're about to start school again, it might not be a good feeling of preparation, but you have to start thinking about what's coming up. And there's a certain kind of excitement as you approach the beginning of school. Or when you're in college and you're approaching finals week, there's a buzz in the air as everybody frantically studies and gets ready for a big thing, something that's going to define the rest of the, of the semester that came before. 
When you get married, there are so many things that you have to do in preparation. You have to find a venue. You have to find a photographer and a caterer. You have to make sure that your tables are set up so that no one's going to argue. You have to do so much just to get ready for this great day. And when the time comes that you have children, there's a lot to do, even as excited as you are. You have to get a nursery ready. You have to get cribs and all kinds of other things prepared. You have to childproof your house because everything needs to be ready when the day finally comes. We go through these seasons of preparation all the time for things big and small because we want to be ready when it finally gets here. Well, for us in the church, we have two of these seasons of preparation, and we might not link them together in our minds very often, but the truth is, historically, they are tied together in a special sort of way. First, we have Lent in the lead-up to Easter. On the day that we celebrate that our Savior has conquered death once and for all, that we have nothing more to fear because Jesus has proved that he is Lord of Lords. We go into that having just completed a period of fasting, a solemn time. And that's because Lent is meant to point to the necessity of Easter. Well, in the same way that Lent points to the necessity of Easter, we, during the season of Advent, know that something big is coming. We know that another part of this story of Jesus is coming to a completion. That the birth of Jesus has happened and that we are getting ready to celebrate. But in the, in the same way that Lent points to the necessity of Easter, Advent points to the excitement of Christmas. You know, as we were in Florida and decorating uh, for Christmas, I looked around and saw all the lights and got excited. And as we were in the car, I heard we were listening to Christmas music. And one of the songs that comes on is, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And I saw all of these lights and all of the excitement. And I knew, yes, it is beginning to look like Christmas. But at the same time that I recognized that, I was also wearing shorts because it was 85 degrees and humid, and it didn't feel very much like Christmas. And yet the excitement was still there because the preparations were still being done. It was beginning to look like Christmas, even when it didn't feel very much like Christmas yet. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks in the lead-up to Christmas Eve. All throughout the Bible, throughout the centuries before the birth of Jesus, the world was ready for Christmas. It knew that something was coming. The people were waiting for a Savior. And as you read through the Old Testament, what you see is that everything big or small, was leading to something. And that even the smallest of those things found their ultimate meaning in Jesus. This is what Jesus had to explain to the disciples. 
we read this scripture and we might think that it's kind of an odd one because these were people who had walked with Jesus for years, who had gone with him through his ministry to the people, had seen him work miracles and proclaim the good news. And yet here they found themselves walking beside him once again and didn't recognize him. But not only that, when Jesus asked them what had happened, they told him everything wrong. They proved that even though they had walked with Jesus, even though they had seen everything that he had done and heard everything that he had said, that they did not understand. They thought he was a prophet instead of a savior. This might be easy for us to look back on and say, man, how did they miss the most important part of the story? How did they miss what Jesus really was there to do? But the truth is, it would have been easy because Jesus wasn't the Savior that they wanted. When you read the prophets, it doesn't take very much to realize that they came during bad times. That the prophets came during uh, periods of time when the people of Israel were at war. When they were suffering plagues. Or worse, when they were in exile. They didn't even have a homeland to call their own. They didn't have security They didn't have peace. They didn't even have their health. But perhaps worst of all, the people of Israel, what was called the kingdom of God, had forgotten who they were. As they were scattered outside of their land, they didn't even have an identity anymore. So the people wanted a savior, but they didn't want a savior like Jesus. What they wanted was relief. They wanted to be delivered, but they wanted to be delivered from the people who'd driven them from their homes. So it's no wonder that the disciples couldn't see what Jesus had come to do. They were looking for something much smaller, but much more immediate. The truth is, it can be hard to see how God is working in the moment. The disciples after walking with Jesus, didn't understand how he could possibly be a savior. After all, he hadn't saved them from Rome. He'd been killed by the Romans. And so Jesus, walking alongside them, has to give them a message. Yes, he first starts by saying, how did you miss all of this, you foolish people? But then he continues on. And with his special kind of patience, explains to them everything that had happened. From Moses all the way through the life that they had lived, Jesus explained the things that they had seen and heard. And what he told them was that the prophets had a message of deliverance. Yes, a message of deliverance from the people that had driven them out from their homes. They had a message that salvation would come, that there would be peace in the land of Israel once again. But they also had a bigger message. They had a message of final freedom, of real deliverance. After all, as our Advent reading this morning said, David came as a savior to the people. He saved them from the Assyrians who were coming in and were destroying the land. And he brought peace 
and prosperity to the people of Israel. He reminded them that the Lord was their God. And then he died, and before long, Israel had fallen apart again. But the message of the prophets was still true, that there would be peace in Israel, and there would be a king, and he would bring a deliverance that couldn't be taken away by even the strongest of armies. He would bring a freedom that not even Rome could oppress. And that was the, that was the message that Jesus brought. That was the freedom that Jesus came to give to the people. And that's the message that Jesus came to give to us as well. That no matter what we've been through, no matter what we're struggling with now, that the words of the prophets are still true. That first, there's freedom to be found now. That whatever you're struggling with now, God has placed people in this world to help you through it. And for those of us who are Christians, we can hear the words of these prophets as a challenge because we are the ones that God has called to bring that freedom. In the words of Jesus, we're called to go and feed the hungry and to clothe the naked. We're the ones who are supposed to go and do this work. And then we're supposed to continue to proclaim the good news that the prophets had and that Jesus fulfilled. Which was that it's not only freedom now, but we have freedom that lasts forevermore. Because God sent Jesus to make a better tomorrow possible as well. And what the disciples learned by the end of this, as they saw that God had made good on his promise and that Jesus had come back, what they saw was that they could trust God with the future, that they could trust God to continue to work Friends, if you can trust God with your future, then we can know the same thing that the disciples learned that day, which is that he will redeem the past as well. Yes, Jesus died, but he died so that he could then be raised into glory. Something that was so terrible at the time was redeemed into something more amazing than the disciples could possibly have imagined. And if we trust God with our future, then he will redeem our past as well. Our struggles become our testimonies. Our problems, for as difficult as they are, can give way to joy. As we see that none of our problems can overcome the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the end of it all, everything that we have gone through becomes worthwhile because as the prophets said, it's all leading up to Jesus. Everything that we go through, all of the good times and the bad, they all lead up to Jesus. And if we can trust that God is working, if we can look for the ways that salvation has come into our lives, and the difference that God is making, 
And friends, we can see that there is a beautiful tomorrow that we can hope for. So let us give thanks to God who's given us that hope, who's given us that coming day. Amen.